Welcome to the SAME Real-Time Podcast, featuring an inside look across the Society of American Military Engineers and the work that our 30,000 members and 105 posts are doing to support national security and strengthen the engineering potential of the United States. And now, your host, SAME Executive Director, Joe Schrodel. We're joined today by uh, Colonel Retired Eileen Collins, the first woman to pilot and command an American spacecraft. And, and Eileen is going to be our keynote speaker at our Joint Engineer Training Conference coming up here in Columbus, Ohio on the 23rd of May, uh, just, another, just a month around the corner. So Eileen, thank you very much for joining us today and we're all excited about having you at our conference next month. And I am also very much looking forward to being there. Great. So, so Eileen, you know, we've read a lot about you, and the things that you have done are absolutely amazing. And, and one of the things that really stands out for, for me especially, I think, is the way you, you attacked your dreams. So, so maybe, maybe the best way to start is just to ask you, tell us a little bit more about yourself and about your background and, you know, what, what really got you interested in aviation? Well, I grew up in Elmira, New York, which is in the Finger Lakes area of upstate New York. In my hometown, which Parrot Hill, which is uh, just a little bit to the west of Elmira, is the location of the National Soaring Museum. So I attribute my initial interest in flying to my summers at camp, where I would watch the gliders fly overhead. And there was no way my family would ever be able to afford flying lessons or even one flight in a glider. But as I watched the gliders fly, I would always wonder what it was like to fly. So that was my initial interest. My dad would take us four kids to the airport. We'd sit on the hood of the car and watch airplanes take off and land. That was at the local regional airport, pretty cheap entertainment. And the other thing is, I actually attribute my interest to both of my parents, and on my mother's side, she would take us to the library. Usually when the weather was bad, she wanted to get us out of the house, and she'd just drop us off at the library, and I somehow discovered books on flying. So that was my initial interest in, in flight. I started taking flying lessons myself after I had saved up $1,000, uh, which is what it cost back in the late 1970s, too earn a pilot's license. So I saved up the money, uh, 20 years old, uh, between my junior and senior year in college. I went to my local airport and asked him to teach me how to fly. And I learned after that first couple of flights that that's what I wanted to do for a career. And the fact that it led into the space program was not a coincidence because I, I think tied in with my interest in flying was also my interest in space. And I would read about the astronauts when I, and this was mostly the Gemini in Apollo program when I was a child, reading about the astronauts, oh, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go farther and faster and higher. So I set my goals pretty high, even though it, it seemed unrealistic as a child, I kept working towards that goal. Now, I think it's, it's one of the reasons I attribute uh, my success to my timing, because my uh, 
college graduation was in 1978, which happened to be just two years after the Air Force began taking women into pilot training. So that was 1976. Now, when I graduated in 1978, the Air Force was still running a test program, but my group was selected to go as a continuation of the women in flight test with women right out of college. The groups before me were already on active duty. So my group came right out of college. So we were in a test program. And in 1978, there were eight of us. We went to two different bases. And as you know, the program was successful. And I was very happy to be part of that. So that's, you know, kind of a little bit of background, nothing fancy. You know, my parents weren't pilots. I didn't come from a family with a lot of money that you know, bought me flying lessons. Um, I had nobody pushing me into it. It it sort of was part of me. And I discovered that as I was growing up that I wanted to fly. So here I am. Long well, answer to your question. No, that's an amazing that's an amazing story and, and you know it, it prompted a couple of the thoughts in my mind. So a thousand dollars, twenty years old just to get started. And that's after, as you said, being, being raised with uh, exposure to, you know, planes taking off and gliders and all that. So, so one, of the, one of the questions, despite your fortune, timing fortune, you know, the 1976 versus 78 piece, you know, go back a little bit earlier than that. What kind, what kind of challenges, especially as a woman who had this dream to fly and go higher and faster, what kind of challenges, you know, did you face? Um, you know, in, in pursuing your dreams. And, and, and then the follow-on to that would be, you know, today is a little different age, but there's still challenges to a young person who has a dream to go higher and faster than you did. So what kind of, what kind of advice then? So what challenges did you face? And then, you know, what, uh, what advice would you give to young folks today who have the same dream that you had, only maybe in a little different context? So what do you think? Yeah, well, the, you know, there certainly are a lot of challenges, and probably the biggest challenge is the one within within us, within me or within the individual person, is giving yourself enough credit that you could actually do some of these things that you think are great, uh, cool, fun things, uh, challenging things to do. So I think my biggest struggle was really just convincing myself that I was able to do it. And I think it took a lot of courage for me to go up. In fact, I know it took a lot of courage for me to call the, uh, we call them FBO, the fixed base operator, or the unit at the airport that uh, had the instructors in the airplanes and would train people how to fly. It took a lot of courage for me to call them. I thought they'd tell me that, you know, we didn't want girls or you're too young or you know, you need to have a, have a lot of money up front. And I went ahead and made the call anyway. I was very nervous, but they were great. They said, come on up and we'll show you what we have. And I found that the instructors were absolutely wonderful. They were friendly. They loved flying. They were very encouraging. And in fact, they had a simulator and they said, well, come on, let's, we'll give you a free ride in the simulator, see if you like it. So I, I think that was the, the first big challenge was overcoming any doubts that I might have had about myself. Once I started, I just, that was, that was a big break. 
And I think the other challenge is on the academic side. And this is this is pretty serious. When I was in um, high school, I had no idea what an engineer was, other than you know maybe a person that drove a train. So I started college. I loved technical things, and I've all, I always graded very high on on those standardized tests. I always graded very high on the mechanical and spatial and quantitative. Uh, type test. So I, and I liked that type of thing. So I decided I was going to be a math major. I had no idea that I could have been an engineer, didn't even know what an engineer was. My high school guidance counselors never talked to me about engineering. But by the time I was a sophomore in college, I, um, I went to a junior college. We didn't have engineering and I transferred into a, a four-year college. And I thought that they had engineering, and oh, that's what I want to do. I want to be an engineer. But at that point, it was too late. I would have had to spend an extra year or two in college, and I had wrapped up an ROTC scholarship that I didn't want to lose. So I, I graduated as a math major. So I think it's really important for us to ensure that young people know what what is an engineer, uh, what they do. I try to tell young people that engineering is a creative field. It isn't just uh, you know, calculating things and moving numbers around and crunching equations. We need creative people that have this talent for engineering. And I don't think we should make assumptions based on even a person's grades in school as to whether or not they can be successful as an engineer. But it's very important that young people know about engineering. So we're doing a much better job at that today, but I'm not really sure if we're reaching everybody. So I'm glad to hear that, um, that the Society of, of American Military Engineers is uh, interested in the STEM uh, education fields and helping uh, younger people. So th this is just really, really important. <laughs> Even you know, even my daughter, she actually went on to be a math major, too, as much as I encouraged her to be an engineer. Um, she's, uh, at least she knew. And I'm also encouraging my son to go into engineering. So those, that answers your uh, question, I hope, about the challenges that I faced. And about being a woman, I think that the majority of my challenges are ones for men and women. The uniqueness of my experience was that I was in the first group of women to go through pilot training at my base in Enid, Oklahoma. That was Vance Air Force Base. So we had um, a little bit of, do I want to say, extra attention that we didn't want. <laughs> uh, there were four. Exactly. There were four of us. Yeah. Only day. four. There were wow. Over four hundred men. <laughs> so, wow. I think we did okay with that. I, we tried to focus on just being the best pilots we could be. Um, and the pressure was the fact that we were in a test program, and if we failed, that would uh, end the, uh, possibly end opportunities for women to follow us. So it was very important for us to do well. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing to listen to you and, 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 uh, and think about what we hear from young folks. You know, young folks you kind of echo the same challenges you just mentioned. You know, can I do it? Am I good enough to do it? And then the other piece, they're always afraid of the math. And I like the way you put that, that it's a creative field. You know, we, what we like to tell people is engineers are problem solvers. We just like to solve problems. 
And that's what we think we're doing as a society. We're, we're helping the, the government and the society solve the infrastructure problems that we have in this country because that is in our national interest. You know, it's about the infrastructure stupid, that's the way some people put it. So, so yeah, I think, appreciate your insights because a lot of young folks today are facing the same, same kinds of, uh, of, of issues. And, and your point about, it's interesting to hear you say that even halfway through college, you, you hadn't even thought about engineering and nobody would even talked to you about it. Where today, you know, we're pushing people to go do science fairs with preschoolers. And there are some schools in this country now that actually are offering engineering curriculum as a part of their, their studies, even in middle school. Um, so so it's, it's interesting to see how far we've come, you know, just in a few years, because it's not that long ago that, that you were, you know, not even, not even out of college. So, you know, you, you, you triggered another thought in my mind that, that, that I thought was interesting. Um, the point about courage. You know, it's one thing to face the, the courage of deciding what you're going to do and go out and pursue it. Uh, but one of the things that, that struck us as we, we really came, came to know you a little bit better is the fact that, that you were on that first flight after the, the Columbia disaster. What kind of courage did that take? Well, it, it was really a process. Um, the accident it happened in February of 2003, and that was shocking and heartbreaking for all of us uh, because we lost our seven fellow astronauts, and we were supporting their families after that accident. And then we also lost Columbia, which was the first orbiter to fly in space. And many people actually felt it, it's it's kind of strange, but you feel like the Columbia orbiter is part of the family. Right. So, so the heartbreak that came out of that and then the accident investigation and the return to flight period. And I was going to stay on and fly that return to flight mission if it took five years. I mean, I, I knew that it would take about two years. It actually took two and a half years to get the shuttle flying again. But I was committed to stay. Um, I felt that, well, let me just to back up for a minute. There were many people that said we should stop flying the space shuttle after the accident. And that was due to the fact that we now had two accidents, Challenger in 1986 and then Columbia was lost in 2003. And why should we continue to fly this space shuttle when it's just not safe? Well, I didn't believe that. And I had been with the program since 1990. So the way the astronauts think about this, at least I can speak for myself uh, primarily, is you get to know your spacecraft is, you know, more than anybody else, which is constant reading and studying, visiting employees, visiting factories, uh, running simulations, uh, going through emergency procedures, learning that spacecraft better than anybody else. And as the commander of the next flight, I wasn't going to fly my flight if I thought it was still unsafe. I insisted that the things that needed to be fixed were fixed to the satisfaction of my crew and the astronaut office. And the uh, shuttle program was was uh, wonderful. I mean, they were in line with our thinking and they were, we just worked uh, very well. 
with the managers and the engineers and the flight directors. Um, it was a, a big team working together trying to get the shuttle flying again. So I think, yeah, it does take a certain amount of courage um, to go do that, but that almost takes a back seat to the, to the knowledge that you have and the confidence that you have and knowing that the things that are that could cause a future accident or could cause problems have been have controls on them. This is risk management I'm getting into, but having controls on these to the satisfaction of the people that are going to risk their life and go fly. And I felt that we had, in fact, when we flew our mission, I felt it was the safest shuttle mission that they'd ever flown, um, ever. And we continued to make improvements right up until the end of the shuttle program in 2011. So I, I believe that, you know, after my flight, the flights just continue to get safer and safer. And uh, I'm hoping that the lessons learned will be remembered and used by those that are building the future spacecraft. Um, NASA's building the space launch system, which will be going into deep space. And we have our uh, partners that are building rockets to go to low Earth orbit, which is Boeing, SpaceX, Blue Origin, Sierra Nevada are the prime companies that are building rockets that will potentially take people to the space station or to other space stations. And it's very important that they also learn what we learned from the Columbia accident, which will be part of my talk. I think it's, uh, I like to share what I learned on my last mission from you know, how we grew out of the accident and became better, uh, fixed the problems. And really on the leadership side, there's so much to be learned about how to be an effective leader in a very technical area such as spaceflight. Because I believe it takes a different type of leader. And it, when you are in a very technical job such as engineering, it takes a different type of leader than, say, for example, you're you know, leading your squadron off to battle or you're um, leading a, a flying squadron. But there's uh, more similarities than there are differences. And that will, be, that will be part of my talk. But I also have a lot of fun things I'd like to talk about just as far as the experience of being in space. But to have that fun experience in space, you've got to make the right decisions and have the right team to safely uh, launch the rocket out there. No, that's great. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I wrote the word leadership down as you were talking because, you know, under what you were saying, uh, yeah, your response to uh, the, the courage piece and that you've got to kind of kind of let courage take a back seat to your knowledge. I've never put it that way, and I think that's profound. But but the other thing that, that struck me as you were talking, when you talked about the knowledge you had of your craft, the people, the people who who service the craft that helped put it together, um, you know, I'll say it a little differently. One of the things that we're always pushing in our society is professional development and professionalism. And, and a lot of times, if, if you ask somebody what a professional is, I think the way you described yourself, I think that's a great definition of professionalism. That even fear, even fear takes a back seat to your knowledge and to what you know about your profession and the study that you did and the constant you know, asking questions. I think that's a great story to tell, and it's something that we, we really underscore heavily in the society. So 
that's a great message. And then the other piece is the leadership piece. Uh, yeah, that'll be great to hear hear some of your thoughts on leadership because again, uh, SAME began and for many many years was predominantly an officer society, a society of, of military officers. Uh, so yeah, today we're still predominantly officer heavy in the society, even though we've expanded to civilian and enlisted and non-commissioned officer ranks across the services. Uh, but that'll be interesting to hear some of your thoughts about about leadership. Yeah, how about a thought, as, as I listen to you speak too, any thoughts about role models? What kind of role models do we need today? You know, not just folks who are great professionals and good leaders, but any thoughts about what kind of role models maybe we need in this very fascinating time that we live in? Well, you know, I, I think back to my role model, you know, other than my parents, because I, I think even today, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, parents will always be role models. But not many of us choose the same career as our parents. So when you go into role models in, in your career aspirations, I think about the, the Gemini and Apollo astronauts, and, and the Mercury astronauts too. They were before my time, but the Mercury, but, but the, I would say all of the astronauts, Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, and then the shuttle astronauts before me were all role models. I would read about them, uh, magazine articles mostly because there weren't many books back then. And I would uh, try to, well, I'd read about their background, um, where they go to school, what was, um, what uh, service were they in, you know, what are their jobs? Well, they were all test pilots. So, well, that's great. I want to fly too, so I'm going to be a test pilot someday. So I looked up to them as my role model, <clears throat> although I never had a chance to meet any of them before I interviewed for the astronaut position. I, I think just the fact of uh, reading about who they were. <clears throat> and the other interesting question I'm often asked is, well, there were no women astronauts back then, and it wasn't until 1978 that NASA selected the first women. But, you know, the, the men were role models for me also. And I never thought that being a woman, I would be excluded. Although it wasn't until 1978 that NASA did select six women in the space shuttle program. And all six of them, <clears throat> all six of them were very successful. They all flew. And uh, they all became friends of mine later when I came out to NASA um, in the 1990s. So I think I think that's um, maybe the answer to your question on on role models. And I wanted to say one other thing on on uh, leadership that I would I would tell my crew because I, I think you know the astronauts don't really have you know fear for uh, their lives or injury. Um, if we have any fear at all, it's we don't want to make a mistake. Mm. Um, because, you know, you may have a $2 billion uh, observatory that you're going to deploy or you're doing something very important on the space station um, or you're landing a space shuttle which has no price on it. You don't want to make a mistake. You certainly don't want to be the one to cause a mistake. So I would say that would be the biggest concern or the biggest fear. So I would tell my crew uh, before we flew that... You know, I, I would try to increase the confidence and remind them that you are the best 
trained person in the world right now to do this job, and there's nobody that can do it as good as you right now at this point in time. You're the best. And it's a little bit of coaching also. And I think by increasing the confidence and letting them know that, you know, I had full confidence in them, that really helped us, especially on my last mission. Actually, the, the two missions I flew as uh, commander, I'm very proud of both of them because we were able to achieve pretty much all of our objectives and, and more. And that wasn't done without a lot of heartache and practice and a lot of sacrifices were made. Um, but we did have a very well-defined mission and a very well-defined goal. So that, that really does help if your mission is defined in, in, your, in the team and the bosses are all behind you. Yeah, that, that is tremendous. And uh, yeah, I could probably go on for hours and, and, uh, and really get going. So I, I don't want to uh, steal all the thunder from your, from your presentation. But, you know, here's an interesting question. Do you still fly? I am, well, I keep my medical current, but I am not flying right now routinely. Okay. Uh, once in a while, somebody will ask me to go out and fly with them. But I have become a, I'm a consultant, I'm a speaker, I, I do a lot of board work, and I'm raising two, uh, well, I was going to say teenagers. My oldest is not a teenager anymore. She's off in college, and I still have one in high school. So I've um, been very, very busy. But when my uh, children are off on their own, I, I'm not too old to get back into flying again. My <laughs> husband is an airline pilot, so I do stay uh, connected to the flying world, and I, I fly an awful lot of commercial. <laughs> so, uh, okay. so I'm out there traveling, but I do want to get back into the flying again. I, I miss it a lot, and I find that well, once I became an astronaut, there's so many opportunities but open um, especially once I retired from the active astronaut corps, I had so many opportunities open to me, I had to learn how to say no. Uh, and that has not always been easy for me, but I, I try to do the majority of things I'm asked to do, and uh, I have a lot of con big conflicts, so I can't do it all. <laughs> well, you know, it's amazing, it's amazing just to, to have the honor to talk to you for a little bit, uh, and clearly, you know, not only are you a pioneer, not only have you really paved the way for, for a lot of folks to, to uh, look to you as a role model, but, but, even, but even as a mom and being able to do all of it, the family, your, uh, your career, and still have the opportunities uh, to do all kinds of things, it's just amazing to have the opportunity to talk to you knowing everything that you've done. Yeah. So we're looking forward well, you to know what? We're looking forward to having well, you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to um, to take off on that last point you were making. I think if for the people that are listening, um, whether you're young or old, it doesn't really matter. If you find something that you're very passionate about, it is so much. Or do I want to say more fun to jump into it? You know, for, in my case, just being passionate about flying and about space exploration. Not just going into space in the human experience, which is something I've always wanted to do, and I um, can talk about that a little bit more. Um, the human experience of being in space will 
uh, I have no doubt that there will be space tourism someday because of just what a great experience that is. But on the other hand, space exploration, getting people off the planet and getting us out uh, out uh, in lower orbit uh, more regularly than we are now. We have a space station that I think we can grow um, our presence in lower orbit. We can go back to the moon. We can go on to Mars, uh, put human settlements on Mars, and I encourage, this sounds a little bit far out, but I, I believe that there will be a faster way to travel in the future other than the chemical propulsion and the early uh, solar uh, propulsion that we have now and a variety of experimental types of propulsion. We are going to discover a way to travel outside of our solar system. I firmly believe that. I don't know when, but it will be engineers that make that discovery or invention, whatever we end up calling it, and take people to some of these places that are being discovered now by the Kepler Observatory, which is looking for Earth-like planets. So I find that to be just fascinating. And that's the message that I like to take um, to young people is, you know, if this is the kind of thing that you're passionate about, make it your career. And you can become an engineer, whatever kind of engineer you want to be, or a scientist, or a technician. Uh, there is so much left to be discovered. It's just, and so it's something that I've always been passionate about. And I think that's how I've been able to do the things that I do. And it, it's not easy to raise a family and run off to work, uh, whether you're a mother or a father. It's very demanding, very challenging. But if you love it, it, you know, it makes it a little bit easier if you love what you do. That that is such a great message, you know, and probably a, a good place for us to, to to hold until we see you in Columbus in, in about another month, and, uh, and and again, it's just it's been a real honor for for us to have a chance to talk to you, and and I know that our members are going to be interested in, in hearing a little bit about you, and and I think you've clearly helped whet their appetite for hearing more, and I couldn't agree with you more about living your passion. Uh, life goes All right. Too fast. Well, thank you, Joe. So, I enjoyed talking with you. Great. So we'll see you uh, in about a month. And uh, anything we can do for you, let us know. And, and thanks again for joining us today.